my greatest wealth is in my community of men, because we're all men who have not had quality fathers in our lives. And so we have chosen each other to hold that energy of father. Ultimately, what we come back to is that lack of models. So we're having to create them. We're having to create spaces where I can make up that model that I never got, where these fathers that I've selected, elected, uh, hold me to my commitments for what I seek to be in this world. I'm Emily Goff, a human connection coach, writer, and speaker with an insatiable sense of curiosity and adventure, always asking more questions and using the power of stories to teach, learn, and grow. We boldly explore relationships, connection, and the nuances and complexities of the human experience with compassion, honesty, and a sense of humor. With both solo episodes and highly curated guests sharing incredible stories, experiences, and expertise, the Room to Grow podcast takes the entire idea of growth to the next level, all while covering the uncomfortable topics many of us would like to avoid. There's always more room to grow. Let's do this. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast. Emily here, and I am absolutely delighted to get to bring you Kelly Gardner on this episode. And we are going deep into a lot to do with men, men's men's mental health, what it means to be a man, fatherhood, masculinity, uh, releasing shame, the connection to purpose. Like there are so many incredible things that Kelly and I got into in this one. I'm definitely going to have to bring him back on because we barely even scratched the surface and we could, we could just talk for hours about all this stuff. And Kelly just has such a beautiful, thoughtful way of teaching about this and talking about these, these issues and these, these topics in a way that I have never quite heard put together like this before. Um, and I'm really, really excited to get to share him with you. So Kelly is a facilitator of creativity with a diverse background in art, education, social action, and media production. He has dedicated most of his life to discovering where the intersection of communication and personal development creates positive impacts in communities and the lives of individuals. And after 15 years of fatherhood and 25 years guiding and creating spaces for social and emotional learning, Kelly is all in on leading dads towards the next great evolution of fatherhood. And he's also incredibly passionate about education as well. And we get into that more in this episode. Such a powerful listen. I'm so excited for you to hear this one. Please make sure to pass this on to somebody who needs to hear it. Please connect with Kelly. He is a delight. And I can't wait for you to catch this one. Hi, Kelly. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you on here. This has just been, I feel like we've already started like an ongoing conversation. I think this is just going to keep continuing and you may be a multiple podcast guest because I know we are not going to cover what everything we want to cover in one single episode. <laughs> I'm certain that it is going to be perfect. My mantra in life is everything is already perfect. It's just up to me to see the perfection in it. Uh, so I'm looking forward to the perfection of many, many conversations to come. I love it. I love it. So tell us a little bit about you, Kelly, like tell us what you do, what you, what you do in the world, the, the work that you do in the world. And also tell us just who you are. Like, how do you identify? Sure. Um, human. <laughs> I identify as human. Uh, you know, uh, I, I would say I'm someone who has uh, been a, a, a polyhyphenate uh, for most of my life. Um, you know, I, I started my professional career in in um, theater, um, doing theater for social change uh, early in my career, going into communities and doing what we would say is bringing uh, the 
creative genius to communities that did not have access to that. Utilizing performance as a tool for personal development, self-awareness, community development, uh, and also building communication skills. I went into teaching theater, running uh, nonprofits for many years, uh, as well as um, ultimately moving into university. Uh, I, I taught um, filmmaking for over a decade. I was the dean of a film school uh, for some time. Uh, and in that role, started to realize that, um, you know, it was actually through reflection of a person that worked outside of my office who would say, you know, every day I watch these people come into your office and their heads down, their body language is just kind of crunched over. And, and then they come out of your office and it's just this, their, their head is up, their, their shoulders are back. What's going on in there? And I realized that, you know, what I was doing is people were coming to me in, in the most challenging parts of their life um, where they're experiencing conflict and just giving them a framework to look at it in a different way. And at the time, it was primarily around art. You know, these were artists and they could understand story structure and see themselves in the story, see themselves in the metaphor. And uh, that became a journey. Um, and one of the interesting things about that time is that, you know, I had this beautiful office, that that job that everybody wanted, and, and I felt very unsatisfied. And uh, I was commuting to work every day uh, for about an hour and a half, uh, and I would listen to podcasts every day. Um, and I started to just really learn so much. And, and I realized that I had that moment where I thought that the people that I was listening to podcasts with were the people that I was in community with, but they weren't. And when I looked around, I realized that most of the people that I was I was working with every day were not living a life on purpose. And I set a, a commitment to doing that. And to this day, um, I am really living into that more and more. Um, I've been doing uh, men's groups and, and facilitating and building communities around that for uh, the last five years. And now really um, <clears throat> moving that more into the space of supporting fathers uh, to, to really grow uh, communities and support to to really create that change that is so necessary in our society to have more present fathers in our lives as role models um, as I will you know talk about more about the the full embodiment of masculine leadership uh, and so that's kind of my big my big thing uh, that I'm doing today if you were to ask me what my purpose is you know ultimately it always comes back to to serve. Um, and, you know, if you, if you are religious or not religious, I will say it's to serve God. How do I do that? I do that in the form of love. What is my mission? My mission is to clarify and amplify the communications that are bringing me and my communities to greater alignment with my highest truths. Mm, that last part really hits greatest alignment with your higher truths. That's really, really well said, Kelly, yeah. your, your genius and in, in this area just like always shines through for me. I, I really want to dig more into the fatherhood stuff. We've got a lot to cover in that area and, and like some really juicy stuff we're going to get into before we do. I would love to hear more about what, what men's work means to you. Like when we're starting to hear these terms around like what men's work even is, what, what does it mean? What does it mean to you? How do you define it? And what does it mean to you to be a man? And I'm asking you like what your definition is of that, because I recognize that obviously everyone can and, and often should potentially have a, a different definition, a different uh, definition of what that means to them as individuals. But I'd love to hear what that means to you. Sure. Um, you know, and, and it's interesting as as we get deeper, you know, into 
men's work, women's work, it's ultimately all the same work. Um, you know, the fact that I identify as man or woman or trans or whatever is somewhat irrelevant to the to the work that's being done. Really, the reason why I believe it's essential to create what we say men's work or women's work is to create safe spaces where I can be seen and reflected back my own shame, my own challenges uh, in a way that I can be heard. Um, and we, I typically separate those groups um, so that we can create separate spaces. Uh, my goal is to see a world where everyone is doing this work. Um, and then I have a safe space that's not with my partner. You know, I even in men's groups, I say, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I invite anyone who identifies as man, just don't bring your partner. <laughs> If your partner also identifies as man, because that's going to be create a, a challenge to being as authentic as I can in this space. You, I do want to bring my work out there. And the way that I look at it, you know, I used to teach yoga. I've had a million different lives. Uh, but when I taught yoga, I used to always say that um, the work that we're doing in this space is preparation for the real yoga. Yoga is what happens when I get off my mat. It's the way that I walk through the world. And a men's group is the same thing. It is preparation for life. It is, a, it is my dojo. It is a space where I work through the challenges that I need to work through and so that I can go back out there into the world, back to my family, back to my communities, and show up in my fullness, in my wholeness. You know, And a lot of the work that I do is around looking at the fourfold self, You know, uh, to put that really simply and, and you know is the uh spiritual mental emotional and uh in my heart space uh, or excuse me well <laughs> spiritual physical mental and emotional right how do i how do i embody all of those uh, those aspects you know looking at um, the medicine wheel the four directions the the major archetypes and, and laying those down and really looking at what uh what growth gets to show up for me in this journey at this particular time so that I can go out there and be a more embodied version of myself, uh, which ultimately is the gift of leadership. And I really loved how how I've heard you describe uh, community before as well. And, mm -hmm. and I know you've mentioned community a couple of times here, and I, I know how meaningful and important community is to you. Can you tell us a little bit about how you sort of come at and approach the idea of community? Yeah, so the phrase that I use are the com community are the people that hold me accountable to who I say I want to be in this world. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's a fundamental aspect of what men's work is um, or women's work. And I say men's work, you know, put in whatever word works for you. You know, I could call it trans work. I could call it um, dog work. I, you know, it could be whatever whatever identifying factor brings that community together, but it is in the reflection of community that I start to see myself. Um, the community community are the people that hold me accountable to who I say I want to be. And it's important that I get to choose that. No one else chooses that for me. You know, it's a, you know, and when I get into parenting, that's also a, a key element, right? I'm not telling my children who they are who they are and create the space for them to define who, who they want to be, ask them what are the steps that they're going to take to get there, and then ask them if I can help support them and holding them accountable to who they say they want to be. And that's, that's it. Um, you know, one of the things that I see often happening that's so unfortunate is people go looking for a guru, you know, someone to tell me who I am. 
And ultimately, that is only going to take me but so far. The goal in this life is to really deepen into my understanding of who I am and making the choices that are right for me. You know, and if, if if I'm in a group and they're telling me who I'm supposed to be, they're taking away that agency, that opportunity for me to really lean in and make those choices. Because at the end of the day, I am going to be my own person. And what happens when no one else is looking? You know, that's a real test of who I am. And I get to play that out and practice that in safe spaces. Yeah. And that's really what community is all about. Yeah. And, and I think that that's just so evident that it's, it's at the center of, of everything that you do and all the work that, that you are putting into the world is, is coming at community with this sense of, of heart and being very intentional about cultivating it in such a beautiful way where everyone gets to thrive. Everyone has agency over what it is that they're doing and getting to connect with each individual's sense of purpose as well. And, you know, we look at purpose as this sort of I've started to almost think of, of the idea of, of searching for a sense of purpose that everyone seems to be doing like collectively as sort of this pedestalized thing that it's like up there in the ethereal and, and we, how do we get there? How do we, how do we get our sense of purpose? <laughs> and I kind of tell people, you know, it has to just be like the, the one step of inspired action is what starts to get you farther down that road. And, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on that as well, because I think that for men in particular, I find it's very important for humans in general to have some sort of sense of purpose. It doesn't matter what it is, but whatever that sense of purpose is to just continue to propel us forward. But with men in particular, how do you kind of work with men around helping them connect with whatever that sense of purpose is for them? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I think the first and foremost, the most important thing to remember is that I can never not be on purpose. Mm. everything that I have all, everything that I have ever done in my life and everything that I will always do is a part of my purpose. You know, at the core, I'm never off of purpose. The question really gets down to, uh, I think more often than not, people confuse purpose with their mission or with their, um, with their goals, Right. Um, oftentimes people refer to purpose as their career or the way in which they are pursuing their purpose, right? To me, those are just the, the how, not the what. The what is always, you know, in my humble opinion, serving God with love. That is essentially it. I will always be doing that. And how do I serve? It is by clarifying deeper understanding of who I am and what is on, what is handwritten on my heart, you know, and what is handwritten on my heart uh, comes through, not in the, just in the joy and, and the celebration, but in the pain and the heartache, you know, what comes through, I say this, you know, over and over again, that God gives me not what I want, but what I need. You know, and I, I go out there and I say, you know, Carolyn Mays has this great story where, you know, she says, we're all sitting up there in this, you know, in this waiting room, waiting to come down and to embody into this world, you know, and he says, okay, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to bring health and wellness to the, to the world. And he said, okay, great health and wellness. That sounds like a really good thing to do. And it's okay. Can I get a couple of people to volunteer to be your parents? Awesome. Parents. Great. Okay. So you are going to sit them in front of the TV and make them watch uh, bad television and eat Cheetos all day long. Got it. Soul contract. <laughs> Right? Done. Signed. <laughs> Signed. Soul contract, right? You know, and think about all of the soul contracts that I have 
for all of the wonderful beings that have come in to create conflict, to create challenges, to bring all of these things so that I can, I can chip away at the rock. You know, as Michelangelo put it, there is, a, there is this beautiful piece of art you know, inside of this rock, and it is already there. It's already formed. It is just me pulling away the pieces of rock and chipping away until I've revealed what is already there. I'm not creating it. My purpose is already here. It is already who I am. I'm just pulling back the layers to remove some of the dust, remove some of the dust from the mirror so that I can more clearly see how I am showing up and continuing to, to hone and refine that. And ultimately, you know, when it comes down to choosing a, a, you know, what we, I think of as direction, encouragement to say, this is my mountaintop. I see that mountaintop over there, and I'm going to choose to walk towards that mountaintop. And here's the most important thing about that mountaintop. And this is why so many people get stuck trying to get there is masculine, the, the, the way that I have been taught to be a man is that I, if to have integrity means that I make a commitment, I project myself into that future that doesn't exist, and then I commit to making sure that that future exists. And I no longer see the world in that way. You know, I think it's more important to, to say, that is my mountaintop. I'm going to go to that mountaintop. And then I take 10 steps and I look around and I go, actually, you know, that mountaintop over there is probably a better mountaintop. And I get to say, yeah, I was wrong. I'm going to go there. And I don't have to be wedded to that big mountaintop. But the important piece is that I call my shot. I say, I'm going to that mountain because in making that commitment, I start moving. You know, and it's just like the GPS system in your car. It can't tell you where you are until you start going somewhere. So the same thing happens in purpose. I just say, hey, I know deep inside of me that there is a seed that is waiting to come out. I don't know where it is, but I believe it's over there. I'm going to start moving and I'm going to enter in the testing grounds and it's going to show me whether that's the right way to go or maybe it's not. And maybe I get to choose another one. And in the process of moving, I'm removing little bits of rock to better unclear, uh, clarify what has always and always will be there. I love that I've heard you use the word clarify several times because then when you also use the example of like clearing the mirror, I, I tend to think of I, one of my, my women's group coaching program is called becoming you and like becoming more of yourself essentially. And I also always almost think of the infinity symbol because it's also so closely tied to remembrance. Like it's mm -hmm. a remembering of who you are to become more of who you have always been in so many ways. And, and that just brings it, brings such a beautiful visual of, of why things like pain also have purpose mm -hmm. because we can't say, we can't stay stuck in pain forever either. Like if, if we, if we have a wound and we just sit there staring at the wound and it's gushing blood everywhere and we never do anything with it, we're going to run into a problem. We have to tend to it. We have to deal with it. And then we have to continue to move forward so that we can heal from it. And, mm -hmm. and it's like, it's like our lives giving us this little flag going up, going, oh, there's something over here that we need to learn to pay attention to and something to deal with. And then that can help perhaps redirect you to the next mountain. And obviously there's so many things that we can learn from joy and pleasure and stuff as well. Like we often focus on the pain. I, I always joke sometimes I'm like, sometimes I feel like this podcast ends up being so much about pain. I have to bring people on. So sometimes just specifically talk about pleasure. Cause I'm like, 
okay, there are good things too. Like it's not just about the painful parts, <laughs> but pain is often where we learn the most in, in a mm -hmm. lot of ways. So it's really, really important. I, I'd love to kind of segue this a little bit more into fatherhood because, mm -hmm. and actually also your, because this ties in really well with, with what you just mentioned. Um, when you and I chatted a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned your 500 year plan. So mm -hmm. maybe I'll have you just really quickly touch on that. And then we're going to jump into fatherhood because I loved your whole idea of the 500 year plan. And I just think it it's so powerful in terms of thinking about like this mountaintop that you focus on and then you can reset your sights and tell us more about that. Yeah. So the 500 year plan is to prepare humanity for the next evolution of consciousness. And I think that's an essential element of who we are becoming. And I look around me and I start to, you know, think about this historically, you know, and all of the fear that's taking place in life right now, you know, around uh, climate change and, you know, the, the drastic shifts that are happening in our environment and, and all around and many people questioning whether or not, you know, life will continue to exist. And I'm, I'm really, I'm at ease in knowing that we are approaching an end, but an end is only a new beginning. And I think back to, you know, early, uh, transition in Homo sapien to Homo sapien sapien, uh, where we were essentially locked down into a very small um, part of, of of Africa. That the the hominoids that existed were surviving drought, and in that survival, they were forced to evolve their consciousness, to think about the future, to start planning and preparing, and that became ultimately the the saving grace and and the superpower of of Homo sapien sapien. I think we're heading towards that next evolution. And so the question is, is what is necessary for that evolution of consciousness, right? And so today, what is the way that I'm working towards that? It is really to help uh, help individuals and communities really channel that unique seed that is inside of them. I believe that each and every one of us is a puzzle piece in this great big puzzle of life, right? But we must really hone each one of those puzzle pieces if we're going to fit together. My big goal, uh, ultimately, in all the work that I'm doing here is to transform the system of education to support that seed germinating in and bringing life uh, and blossoming and growing into something that is a fuel for all of life. So how do we do that? How do we really nurture um, that essence of each and every one of us at our core to bring forth the unique gifts that is handwritten on each of our hearts, because that is what I think collectively we need more than anything else. That is the superpower that is necessary, the superpowers that are necessary to fuel us uh, into continued existence. Without that, without those superpowers, um, you know, we, we will be erased and replaced by something else that uh, can live more in harmony with the environment that we are in. Yeah. And, and there's this idea that I've been playing with lately about the collective consciousness and that idea is that there's a greater intelligence at, at play here that looks for certain individuals and, and each person has like unique gifts. So the, this is available to any and every human but the the greater and intelligence sort of like is looking to push through ideas and different idea with different people, depending on their unique gifts and intersections and, and all of those things. And if the person doesn't necessarily do anything with that idea, we've all had that moment where we have the, the 
lightning bolt idea. Then we never do anything with it. Then 10 years later, we see somebody is like made a billion dollars off whatever. We're like, I could have done that. (laughs) And and it's because we didn't do anything with it. So the idea had to come through someone else in order to evolve the collective consciousness to get us to where we're going again, collectively, like, yes, individually as well, but also much more so on a collective, on a collective level. And fathers are a big part of this. And fathers often get dismissed, left out of the conversation. Um, I was really interested to hear and also saddened to hear some of the feedback that you have been getting as you have started talking about fatherhood uh, much more and things like, you know, it's, it's better to have no dad than a toxic dad. Mm -hmm. And I have some personal things that we can maybe like infuse into this because I have had that thought before. Mm -hmm. I have not had conversation with my father in over 20 years. And uh, at the time I very much, and I still actually maintain this, that I, I felt, I feel that it, the separation was necessary mm-hmm. for me to become who I have become. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is difficult because sure, if you had handed me like a fantastic father, I would have very much benefited from that as opposed to having the separation too. So I'd love to to explore this more with you because and, and you have like just some some heartbreaking statistics and stuff as well about like fatherless homes and the impact that that has. I, I'm just really interested to dig into all of this with you. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, there's so much to to go on. I, you know, the first thing that you were talking about that really resonated for me and and you know, I think it's important that, you know, I work with this around with so many fathers that I work around, which is the idea of breaking up with my father, mm-hmm. you know, that, that that is an essential stage of my development. Um, that as I, as I move into, um, into adulthood, breaking up with my parents, my mother and my father is, you know, an essential piece of it. Now, you know, this gets into the deeper understanding of, of, who we are as a culture um, and, you know, what I refer to as our adolescent culture, or as Bill Plotkin calls it, our pathoadolescent culture, Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, we are collectively in our adolescent stage of development, right? And an adolescent is not able to see themselves within the problem. They're only able to see them to see the problem outside of themselves. And as a filmmaker and a storyteller, you know, I understand that at the core, every single protagonist the antagonist to that in that story is the protagonist. It is themselves. It is just a mirror reflection of the same thing that they are facing inside. But in order to show that story, I have to externalize that internal quality as a character, as someone outside of themselves. So now I have a villain, right? That villain is not real. That villain is a metaphor for who I am. But as a culture, we've fallen in love with the reality of the villain in the same way that we read the Bible like it's a newspaper and not a great work of, uh, you know, great novel. You know, I've confused this metaphor into it being a reality. And so I do need to break up with my parents and I will, as an adolescent, make them a villain. But as an adult, I must understand that they are not a villain. They are just an opportunity for me to grow and learn. And then I get to make peace with that. And in making peace with that, I get to develop a new relationship with that person. Now, relationships are a two-way street. 
I can open the door. You can choose to walk in or you can choose not to walk in, but it's the way that I hold that I, I am, I have developed in my way of holding that. Now, because we are an pathoadolescent society, we all, we do not have a lot of true adults. That's just the reality of it. We have a huge lack of, of, um, eldership in our society. And that trickles all the way down to really having um, true qualities of adulthood. What we really have is a bunch of really grown uh, kids walking around with good, you know, with money in their pockets uh, <laughs> and, and making really poor adolescent decisions. Uh, but because we've been on this planet long enough and, you know, we've got all the spoils to show for it, you know, I start acting like an, I, I'm an adult, but really I'm just a big kid. Um, and so, so many of our parents, unfortunately, are still in that place. You know, I, I, if I become an adult, that doesn't necessarily mean that they did. They are still walking around as giant adolescents. And so, you know, what I have done, and many of the people um, that I know in, in my life, um, we have sought out new role models in that way. And um, really, you know, I have a men's group that's been going on strong for about three years now. Uh, we speak to each other every single day as one of the greatest uh, gifts that I have in my life. I think my greatest wealth is in my community of men, and my communities as a whole. Uh, but being able to have that reflection, because we're all men who have not had quality fathers in our lives. And so we have chosen each other to, to hold that energy of father for each other as we're becoming it, because that's the very best that we have available to us in this, in this lifetime right now. Uh, and so on another level, that's really what men's groups are. And that's what led me to creating fatherhood groups was to create a space where we could find those models because we don't have them. We don't have them. Going back to the statistics, you know, in the United States, based on the the, the uh, census numbers, um, I believe it was the 2016 or 2016 census. A um, little bit behind, but it takes a while to get those numbers up. Um, Thirty-three percent of children um, in America are living in a home without their father. Now that's um, up to forty-seven. Excuse me, fifty-seven percent. For African-American children, um, that is at approximately 40% for Latino children um, and all the way down to about 20% for Caucasian children. So there's also, you know, a variation of what that looks like. Um, and, you know, really quickly, I think that a lot of that comes down to um, the circumstances that has created the lack of models. You know, for myself, having a, an African-American father, a Black man, um, you know, I constantly remind myself that he has done the very best that he can with what he was given because, you know, his father wasn't that, wasn't very much in his life or he was physically there, but very much uh, emotionally absent. Uh, but that's because his father was, let's just say, a complete asshole. I mean, a complete the, to the point where, you know, he wasn't even allowed to be around the children because he was an asshole. And probably because his father, he didn't even know his father or know what a father was like. And that is the that is the history of slavery. Right. That is where slavery actually exists in my life today because we were broken from our fathers. You know, and if you look at Latino communities where, you know, a father had to leave their their community in order to create an opportunity and all the things that came with with the the exodus from the family in order to create that community. I think ultimately what we come back to is that lack of models. We don't see them. 
So we're having to create them. We're having to create spaces where I can make up that model that I never got uh, and so that I can see it, I can feel it and push up against it and hold in, as I said, community where these fathers that I've selected, elected, uh, hold me to my commitments for what I seek to be in this world. We collectively I, we're fathering each other. <laughs> yes. And what a, what a powerful example that you're setting by, by doing that. And yeah. I think there's so many men who would never even think of that being an option like that 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 wouldn't even cross their minds as being a potential and thank you kelly for bringing up so many of the racial inequities when it comes to fatherhood as well because i think that is incredibly important to highlight and that that also gets into like these days not as much slavery but the criminal justice system mm -hmm. and the massive massive inequities there too where a lot of men particularly black men and men of color are being imprisoned mm -hmm. by far disproportionately compared to white men so then they're obviously not in the home and there's there's more fathers that are being pulled away for those reasons as well and the systems are just so broken and there are these generational effects that get carried over time after time after time when i when i look at like you know this my my own personal example of my father i see where he was not loved and cared for particularly well as a child and that's why i was able to forgive him so many years ago because i see where it came from I, I see that he did the best that he could with the knowledge and wisdom and experience that he had at the time. And he he expressed himself in the best way he knew how. And sure, it didn't really necessarily benefit me very much, but I was able to take that and turn it into something else. But again, it still doesn't address like the systemic issues. And this is what you are trying to shift is like changing things at the core and especially things like the education system and everything else that will then have the ripple effect that will go outward from there. Yeah. You know, I think the more, you know, the core is at the individual level. Um, you know, how do I, how do I impact one individual at a time and then create systems that allow us to replicate that so that we can really reach um, you know, individual by individual to help support the unlocking of those unique gifts. Cause I think that that's what we need. We need so desperately. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about your, your work um, with fathers. Where do you, where do you start with, with men who are fathers? And you also have uh, the difference between dad and, and father as well. So I'd love to hear your your um, differentiation on that too. But where do you even start with these men to help them learn how to not only become um, better fathers in, in terms of like the, the masculine leadership roles and everything else, but also becoming more integrated versions of themselves so that they can show up in a healthier way in all of their relationships, particularly with, you know, their, their partner or their spouse and their children. Like, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, you know, first of all, you know, I've come to, to really rewrite this language, I think in a way that's more helpful for me in the work that I'm doing. And I, I look at a dad um, as essentially a, a biological um, uh, role. I have given, I have contributed to giving life to another human being. Um, and that begins my journey um, into fatherhood, hopefully, 
but ultimately fatherhood for me is the the embodiment of a holistic masculine leadership and that's at the core what it is and i ultimately do not believe that someone needs to be a biological dad in order to be a father that is a a a, a space where i think all people who identify um as male or let's put it more succinctly as masculine feminine uh, solar lunar whatever energetic right and i think it's a you know it's a spectrum and if i identify as carrying more of this energetic right the fulfillment of that energetic and to say you know if i'm a masculine being i also have to develop my feminine as well those are in core pieces of myself but i look at what are the qualities of whole masculine embodied leadership. And the truth of it is, is there's very little of it existing in our world today. Again, back to the idea that we are a patho-adolescent society. We have a bunch of grown adolescents running around uh, saying, I, I did it. I, I did all the things. I'm right. I'm, I'm, you know, look at me, look at me. I want to be your leader. Ha 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 ha. You know, um, you know, and I, I even argue that, you know, if if we were to go to the very extreme and, and look at Hitler, you know, it's really just a, a reflection of the level of consciousness that the society was at that particular time. So if we look at how broken our leaders are, it's a reflection of our collective consciousness around leadership. And so the very first thing that I want to do with men is, is start by taking inventory. And to start by taking inventory with the different aspects of my life. Um, you know, it, on a one-on-one -on -one basis, what is my individual work? It's really to look at the different the different areas of my life. You know, on a on a on a pure level, I look at um, you know mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual. You know, but starting with you know how am I? What is my love language? How am I connecting with others? Really, at the core of it, what are um, what are my attachments? How have I bonded with other people in life? What are my bonding patterns? Um, and how do how is my communication to meet my needs, either meeting uh, those needs through the way that I've bonded or not meeting those needs through the way that I've bonded? I get to look at those things. I also get to look at my connection to my most primal self, you know, to my body, but also my body in relationship to the natural world. You know, do I have, am, have I cultivated a relationship with myself in this world where I'm physically embodied? I feel myself, I feel vital, I feel a connection to my, my wants and needs. Do I have a sense of, of a understanding or desire for growth through that which I cannot ever know? Am I, do I have a relationship to my darkness? And when I mean my darkness, it's the, the soil from which I, I come from. Am I getting curious about that? Where am I shying away from that? And ultimately, how do I show up in leadership in life? Looking at these different aspects, I get to say, okay, you know, this is a space that's weak. This is a space that's strong. This is where I want to train my strengths. This is where I want to train my weaknesses. And ultimately, I make a commitment. And that's all that any of us can really do is I say, okay, this is something I want to work on. This is where I'm making the commitment. And, and whether it's me holding you to that commitment or ultimately what I love is when community holds us to that commitment, then when the community is able to hold us to that commitment, then we're just together on this journey. 
trying things on, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work, and seeing my reflection in other people of what is, you know, what is here for me. The way I always like to look at it in, in a group is, you know, if I look across the room and I'm like, oh, that guy pisses me off, right? <laughs> Chances are I have not known that person person long enough to be to be bothered by him. So whatever it is that they're doing is connected to somebody else or some other experience in my life that I have not worked through yet. And here is my opportunity to work through it. Thank you so much for showing up in my life so that I get to look at this. And that's a really powerful way of, of looking at things. It, there's, there's even, there was somebody that I came across on Instagram the other day who reminded me just physically, they, they very much look like um, someone I knew years ago who was not a terribly nice person. And I, I was almost like very triggered with it. And they have no, they have no connection to each other. And I noticed it immediately and I recognized it for what it was, but I was like, oh, wow, there's clearly something there that I still have issues with that other person that I actually knew because this girl has no idea what I'm thinking about her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so funny how these like reflect back to us in these ways. And and what what are you most excited about shifting when it comes to the education system? Because I know that this is like at the very crux of of everything that you're doing, like this work with fathers and everything else. The education piece is is at the core, and also working with. Um, very young fathers too, or, or like new fathers as well, because that's such a critical moment of, of transition in so many different areas in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, you know, at the core, um, you know, I think that we, our, our education system is broken at, in terms of what it is preparing us for. Right. Yeah. And, and if I ask the question, what is the education system preparing me for? I and mean, all the answers that we'll get back, I think, you know, the most succinct one that, you know, if you look at where this current education system was created, it was created to, to, to prepare someone to be a factory worker. Yep. Right? Um, and so uh, on that level, the question is, what could we, or should we be preparing uh, people for? And, you know, it comes back to that, you know, the, what I like to look at and what Bill Plotkins refers to as the soul's journey. Uh, and so looking at each stage of this uh, stage of a development and Plotkin breaks it down into an eight stage model, um, you know, looking at the, the wheel of life from birth to death, you know, and how do we support each separate stage and each stage of development has different tasks and different tools that are necessary. I started with fatherhood because the first stage of it is, is what we, what he refers to as the nest, right? And you think about a baby bird, you know, and the way that I like to look at it is to, to acknowledge that this being, this entity is embodied now in this world, but was previously embodied in another world in the world of spirit, right? And it has come from spirit into, into our realm and is asking this most essential question, am I safe here? Is this a safe space for me to be? Because that place was pretty amazing. This place is pretty weird. I don't know what's going on here, right? <laughs> so it is really our role as parents in the first stage to create that safe space, to love them, to let them know that it is okay to be here, right? How do I do that? I need to be here. I need to be present. I need for, they need to feel my presence. 
So when I look at, you know, the numbers around absent fathers, and that's really just even speaking to the, the physical absence, not even beginning to get at how absent emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, and, you know, absent in their bodies, so many parents are. I'm a father, you know, and so that is the space that, you know, I immediately said, this is where we need to start. Um, if there are going to, if we are going to address um, how do we create a, a better learning environment for, for, um, for babies, for um, you know, that first earliest stage of development, it's really about how do we create better practices of parenting. And ultimately, you know, this absent father epidemic is really, again, just a metaphor for the absence of presence that is so prolific uh, within our society. How can we start to really engage parents, um, fathers, mothers, whatever word you use for it, I care less, it doesn't matter, the, you know, the word is not important, but how do we engage those individuals in a way that encourages them to be fully present for this journey, because here's the great thing about it, is when I show up fully present, this gets to be a springboard for everything that I say that I want in my life, because it is the greatest opportunity to clarify, to, to look at, you know, I say this over and over again, the best piece of advice that I ever got about parenting was as soon as I want to change something in my children, first seek to change it in myself. Mm. And so if I look at everything that I'm going, oh, I don't like that. And instead I go, uh, I don't like this, right? <laughs> and then I go, okay, how do I, how do I work with that? How do I acknowledge that? How do I heal that? How do I grow from that? And then they learn from that. Now I am creating a better version of me. And that better version of me is exactly what I need in order to get the things that I say that I want. But most people aren't willing to do the work. And parenthood gets to be that. It can be, it, on top of it being challenging and, and difficult and not getting rest and not getting sleep and now having this other human being on me and all of this, all this stuff, all of that gets to be the preparation, the proving ground to become the person that I say that I want to be. But ultimately, and for most of us, I'm a bit afraid of it. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's that's a really big piece, like the, the being afraid of it part, because most people don't even, especially men, don't don't even want to admit that fear. Yeah. Because there can also be a lot of shame wrapped up in that as well. And that's another reason why this work is so important is like releasing the shame. And sometimes the shame that we've been carrying that is not even our own necessarily. Again, it's been passed down through generations or it's things that we're not even conscious of left over from childhood or things like that. Like finding ways to unearth it, to clarify, like, like you mentioned as well, so that we can let go of, of the weight of that, that gets in the way of everything else that we do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. That is actually, that's the truth of the matter. And I don't always tell people this, but I'll, I'll pull back the curtain a little bit, but <laughs> that's, that's how I, I start every single group. Um, I start every single group with some version of the shame circle. Mm. Um, in other words, I am going to start you out by giving you the opportunity to release that burden. Um, you know, there's the, uh, a good friend of mine, Preston Smiles, uses this a lot. Um, you know, the uh, I think it's the Lou Holtz quote. Um, it's not the the weight of the load that breaks a man down, but how he carries it. 
right? And so as a man, I've been told that I have to carry this all by myself. And shame is the one that I am always going to be carrying by myself. But could you imagine what it would be like if I got to walk down the road and I didn't have to, I didn't have to carry that. I could unburden myself because everybody already knew. I'm not worried about who they are going to perceive me to be once they find out my deepest, darkest secrets. They're not going to, I'm not worried about how they're going to judge me. I'm not, I'm not censoring myself because they already know. So what if we started out community by just saying, hey, this is what I don't want you to know about me. This is what, this is the shame that I'm carrying around. I actually did a, a an in-person workshop. This was just before the, uh, uh, the world kind of shut down for a while. We were really committed to doing these in-person workshops with men where we started the workshop out with a naked shame circle. Wow. You know, we had everybody just derobe at the beginning um, and, uh, you know, and, you know, acknowledge the shame that they, they had. And we even had a trans man in that space. Um, you know, it was so profound and so magical, uh, that immediately the bonding took place. You know, they were like, I'm going to, I'm going to say everything. I'm going to share it because I'm no longer burdened by that. What it would be like to live in a world where I wasn't burdened. I wasn't carrying that around. I wasn't needing to wear this mask so that you won't find out who, I'm afraid of or who I'm ashamed of. Wow. That's incredibly moving, Kelly. Like that's just really, really powerful to, to do that. And, and especially, you know, that there, there is something so interesting about how much shame we hold around our physical bodies as well. And, and of course this goes for anyone, but I know men carry so much shame around uh, like penis size appearance, mm-hmm. like all these things. Actually, Jade and I came out a, with a podcast episode recently where it's literally called the penis episode. And we, we broke that all down and we talked about that at great length because there's so many issues associated with that. And like, just to rip the bandaid like that and to create the connection is so quickly because shame cannot survive being spoken out loud or shown publicly like in, in that, in that way. And I just, I think that the work you're doing is, is so, so powerful, Kelly, before we start wrapping up, is there anything that, I mean, there's so many things, but is there anything in particular that's coming to mind that we haven't touched on yet that you, you want to make sure that we include here? No, you know, I, I, I'm sitting here with it. Nothing, nothing jumps, you know, I'm just like, sit for a second ask spirits is there anything that needs to come through nothing nothing necessarily that i, I think so i think the the only thing that comes through is we, we just have to have the conversation again so we can have a whole nother line of, of of reasoning around it absolutely absolutely maybe we'll record one in person when i get to see you in, in a couple months <laughs> sounds great so kelly let everybody know where they can find you how they can work with you how they can connect with you and all that will be listed in the show notes too but i want to make sure that, that we get it uh here as well yeah, you can find me on Instagram at uh, Community Gardener, community.gardener. Uh, and uh, the men's initiative, uh, the current uh, program for new dads is called New Dad. It's at newdad.me. Uh, you can, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm all in all of the spaces. Uh, I also do one-on-one mentorships. Um, and one of the things that really lights me up and, um, you know, one of my challenges in life is I've, I've been divorced twice. Uh, and currently have two really beautiful co-parenting relationships with one uh, with people that I I deeply love and am grateful for, and I I really enjoy um, taking men on that journey. Um, oftentimes, it reminds me of my old days back in the office where I you know I'd see people coming in with their their 
you know, shoulders bunch over and feeling really beaten in life and taking men from that expression of feeling completely beaten uh, to a, a new reality where they get to have all of it. Um, that's something that really lights me up. So if you're a man out there who is in that portal, please reach out. Let me know. I am interested in working with you, but also this is a movement. It's not a coaching program. I, I'm not here uh, to, you know, to just offer a, a coaching. This is a, a question of how do we create sustainable growth over time to really uh, bring these visions to life. And so if this resonates with you, if you know somebody, um, we're interested in collaborating with foundations and nonprofits to bring this work to, to more people, please just reach out, say hello, say you heard it, um, add your voice. And that just uh, helps me know that I'm still on the right track. That this is the right mountain that, that you're currently scaling. <laughs> and if it's not, I'll take it. I'll take it. Exactly. Uh, was it uh, Gandhi? You know, the march to uh, the march to the sea. You know, he marches. You know, uh, thousands of miles to get to the sea. He gets there and he goes, "Eh, it's over there." <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You get to. You know, I, I get to do that in this lifetime. We get to do redirections. We get to do redirections. Kelly, this has just like been just incredible. I'm so grateful for you taking the time. I always wrap up with with one final question. And this this can be a tricky one. And you can direct this towards men in particular. Or you can direct it towards humans, whatever you prefer. If you could give people one piece of advice on growing into the best possible version of themselves, what would it be? There are three stages of my journey. Life is happening to me. Life is happening for me and life is happening through me. Mm. If I'm in the space where I'm experiencing life is happening to me, the first question I get to ask is, how is this showing up for my highest good? Where can I find spaces that can help me develop the skills to translate these problems, challenges that are very real into an opportunity for my own growth? And once I've have a, a firm stance on that, then the question is, how do I recognize that I am a part of all of life and all of life is happening through me and with me? And everything that is, that everything that I am seeking, the truth of the matter is that mountaintop is not way over there. Time does not exist. Ultimately, that mountaintop that I see, I have the ability to be on that mountaintop right now. I have the ability to project myself into that moment and make that moment real. So whatever stage I'm in, and you know, I, I truly believe that I, I will continue seeking to levitate. <laughs> Probably won't get there, but you know, it's good to have high goals. Uh, how do I continue to deepen into my connection with all of life to realize that I am ultimately not separate, but a part of everything that ever was and ever will be. And that is the truth of love in this lifetime. Kelly, I've interviewed well over hundred guests. That was the best answer I've ever gotten to that question. <laughs> that was awesome. Thank oh, you for sharing you. that. Just so beautifully stated. I just, I'm so excited to get to chat with you more. I'm so glad that we've been connected and thank you so much for taking the time. <laughs> thank you. It's such a pleasure. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. If you want more, one of the most common questions I get is where do I even start doing this work? 
to create deeper connections and better relationships. I've got a free 15 page guide for you called Where Do We Begin? This is the very foundation that you need to start building healthy relationships with others and with yourself. This is my gift to you and multiple people have referred to it as life changing. <laughs> you can find it over at roomtogrowpodcast.com or check the show notes to go download it and have it sent straight to your inbox. Thanks so much and stay tuned for more episodes weekly.